I wanted to start class today by reading an excerpt out of an article that I found that I thought was really good about leadership. It's about the military and leadership, and, and there's a lot of stuff written about leadership in the military because it's just such a plethora of, of, uh, of ideas focused on leadership. He says in this article, I submit to you that leaders will never be more or less than their soldiers' evaluation of them. This is the true efficacy report. For most of your troops, you can expect courage to match your courage, guts to match your guts, endurance to match your endurance, motivation to match your motivation, esprit to match your esprit, a desire for achievement to match your desire for achievement. You can expect a love of God, a love of country, and a love of duty. They won't mind the heart if you sweat with them. And they won't mind, or they won't mind the heat, excuse me, if they won't mind the heat if you sweat with them. They won't mind the cold if you shiver with them. Today and tomorrow, I want to focus on that little word with. I think that's one of the most powerful words in the Bible and one of the most powerful words in life and one of the most powerful words in leadership, that word with. You see, you don't accept the troops. They were there first. They accept you. And when they do, you'll know. They won't beat drums. They won't wave flags. They won't carry you off the drill field on their shoulders. But you'll just know that you are their leader. You see, your orders will appoint you to command. No orders Letters, no insignia of rank, can appoint you as a leader. Leadership is an intangible thing. Leadership is developed within yourselves, and you get stronger as you go. Wow. No leadership is appointed. I, I would disagree with that a little bit. I heard a quote a while back and I have never been able to find the origin of this quote. It was attributed to Napoleon, but I've never been able to find I've Googled it many times. If you guys could find out where this quote is. A man becomes the man of his uniform. So if you're a point, if you're the commander, then you step into the commander role. Uh, studies have been done about Winston Churchill and they believe that Winston Churchill stepped into his role as prime minister during World War II when there was a crisis and he stepped up and took leadership. It's not that he was a natural leader, but that he aspired and he, he welled within his heart and spirit and soul and went there. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation when you've been appointed a leader, you've been asked to lead, or you've find yourself in a position of leadership and you go, dude, me, I, I'm, I'm not a leader, but, but people are looking to you to lead and oh my goodness, it's amazing how you can, it can rise up within you <laughs> and, and lead, you know, so that's, a, that's an important principle about leadership. Let's pray and then I want to dig in. God, thank you for these students. Thank you for their desire to want to learn more their enrollment in this program tells me that they aspire to greater understanding, greater learning, greater experience in ministry and in leadership. God, I pray that the concepts and principles that we talk about today would impact all of us at the place where we are right now and that we would catch a vision for what we could do to be even better leaders. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who was the ultimate leader, servant leader. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I have a little assignment for you. I want you to take a little corner of a piece of paper on your notes or wherever, without looking at your notes, without looking at your notes, all my definitions that are on there, just off the top of your head, write out your own definition of leadership. What is leadership? On your mark, get set, go. Leadership, what is that? 
leadership is. Boy, you guys are deep in thought. Whew, man. I can hear those brain cells are turning. It's good. Give me some of your thoughts. Go ahead, just blurt them out. Leadership is caring for a group of people. Oh, while what? While guiding them toward a common goal. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Yeah, it's good. Anybody else? Just shout it out. Go ahead. Uh, leading by example and inspiring others. Leading by example and inspiring others to follow. to follow. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, go ahead. One of you? Go. Yeah. Okay, initiating, setting up, you know, being an example, moving things forward, movement, action. Yeah, go, go ahead, another one. Having character and the, the ability to guide. Yeah, good, good. All great definitions. Let me throw out, let me throw out some. The ability to lead others, usually you don't define a word by, you know, <laughs> using the word, but the ability to lead, the ability to serve, influence, or empower others, the ability to initiate change, the ability to make a difference, the ability to make something happen. Remember, I kind of commented how I kind of liked that idea because I think we try to make leadership much bigger and loftier than, than maybe it really needs to be. Um, but there's nothing wrong with big and lofty leadership. Um, and then a lot of your ideas. We're going to go over some more definitions today. And some of the pieces of those definitions definitely uh, pick up on stuff that you've talked about and mentioned in your definitions today. Great. I love this quote by John Maxwell. The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The leader adjusts the sails. The leader serves, influences, the leader initiates change, the leader makes a difference, the leader makes something happen. The leader is the one that sees a situation and says, I want to influence, I want to change, I want to set an example, I want to do, I want to create, I want to initiate, I want to empower. Um, a leader is one that walks into a situation and is not content to just be in that situation. They want to be and do in something in that situation. That's, that's powerful. That's what leadership is. A lot of different pictures. Um, don't expect you to get this picture uh, totally, but um, I love pictures like this because it shows you that leadership is at the core, and then you have to have purpose, and that's usually out of your purpose comes your mission statement, your vision statement, your values statement, those kinds of things. Um, and then you, it involves people. Leadership always involves people. We'll talk about that. <laughs> you know, you can't lead unless there's people. Um, motivation, capability, that kind of thing. It involves some kind of a performance. It involves activity, strategy, culture, change, movement, something like that. And then it also involves your personality. And, of course, you can see this, this diagram is, is my kind of diagram because it's all P's. Pers you know, purpose, people, performance, personality. Um, you know, personality about your personal awareness your own, your own awareness, and then how your personality fits into that situation. And God has given you a personality. He's given you strengths. He's given you capabilities that you can use to influence the situation. And you don't have to try to be somebody else. You know, you just can be you in influencing that situation, you know, toward that end. Um, some dictionary definitions. This is kind of where we were um, yesterday. 
Leadership is the position of the leader. Um, leadership is the ability to lead, um, to go before in order to show, to guide, that kind of thing. Uh, that's involved in the leadership. But, and we saw that um, there's, there's, there's some buts to that, that not necessarily is the leader in front. It's kind of implied that the leader's in front. But I suggested a model of leadership, that leader from the middle. And I like that because I see Jesus doing leadership from the middle. His incarnational model of he became flesh and dwelt among us. God planted us in the middle of something and we can influence the people around us. And it's not about being up front. It's not about, you know, I mean, like in this classroom, you immediately think that, you know, I'm the leader because I'm up front and I'm doing most of the talking. But you are a leader because you're in the middle and you can influence the people, you know, where you're at. Um, let's, let's go to the next phase and we need to make some good good speed today. So I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Some practical definitions of leadership. Um, A, they're in your notes on the first page. A leader is someone who people follow. A leader is someone who people follow. Um, is this a leader? Someone has said, if there's nobody following you, if you think you're leading and nobody's following you, you're just taking a walk. <laughs> Because this by itself is not a leader. <laughs> it has to involve people. You have to have somebody behind you or somebody with you or you're influencing somebody. You know, um, you're not a leader if you're off by yourself. Now, leaders do go off by themselves. I mean, Jesus went off by himself to pray and to, to re-energize and to refocus. And, you know, that all has to happen. And you can model that to others but generally, leader is someone who people follow. That's a great definition. Leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. That's a John Wax Maxwell definition. Some people kind of crit criticize John Maxwell. He's kind of a guru of Christian leadership. He's written tons of books on leadership. I like John Maxwell because he tends to put things pretty simple. And he tends to be pretty practical. But I think if we see leadership as influence, then we realize that we're all leaders. We all influence. You influence people even by your silence. You influence people. By your presence, you influence people. Um, leadership is influencing and motivating others to reach a common goal. Some of you talked about that. That's true. That's about, you know, it's directional. It's intentional. It's, it's you know, motivational. It's, it's, it's going somewhere. It's doing something. Leadership is the process of influencing the behavior of other people toward goal, group goals, in a way that fully respects their freedom. Here we get, begin to, you know, begin to talk about some of the nuances of leadership in psychology and leadership, that kind of thing. And you notice when it talks about respecting their freedom, it's the idea that um, people resisted the Hitler approach to leadership. Is leadership is influencing others, it's empowering others. Um, but it's not usurping their own autonomy or their own ideas or their own um, freedom. It's influencing so that they exercise their freedom to do something and not, you know, oppressing people, not, you know, overpowering people. You can't force people to do something and, and call that leadership. I mean, you could. But that's not what real leadership is. It's not forcing somebody to do something. Um, it's influencing them so that they make the decision to do it. And that's the whole idea of respecting their freedom. Leadership is the process of social influence in which one person can enlist the aid and the support of others in the accomplishment of a common task. So it's, there again, it's the process of influence and it's toward a particular goal or toward a task. Uh, we'll talk about groups in, in leadership. There's groups that have a task orientation. And so then the purpose of, of the group is to accomplish a task. There might be um, just social well-being that's the purpose of a group. You know, I don't know if you've ever been asked to lead a Bible study. And one of the questions that you have to ask when you lead a Bible study is, what's the purpose of this Bible study? I mean, I have led a ton of small groups, a ton of fellowship groups, a ton of Bible study groups, prayer group, whatever you call them in the church, small groups. And one of the first things that I always do when I start a small group is I just ask the group, what are your goals? What are your intention for this group? Because we want to be all on the same page about what this group is for. Because if some people think this is a Bible study group and we're just here to study the Bible, 
Then when you ask for prayer, they're, they're kind of like bewildered, like, what? This is a Bible study group. It's not a prayer group. Or when you talk about people's lives, um, my wife and I started a, a fellowship group at our church that we go to in Denver. And first thing, one of the first days that we did was we talked about what's the purpose of this group, what's the nature of this group, what's our intention, what's our desire, what are we going to call this group. We decided to name it Finishers, which is, you know, people finishing the second half of their life and we're going to do it together. And so we said our goal is to talk about um, how we can be better Christians, how we can be more committed Christians, how we can be better people, stronger spiritually people, how we can support one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, how we can walk this Christian life together, which means it's not just about the Bible study, although we talk about Bible study, but we talk about life. And we found out that very first session, um, I wanted to set the pace. As the leader, I said, you know, I just know that there's some principles of, of small group leadership. One is that um, um, when, you, when you are transparent and you're vulnerable to others, then that breeds their transparency and their vulnerability, you know? Um, when you disclose yourself, um, then that leads to discovery and that leads to, you know, a variety of things. And so I said, um, I would like to, as at the end of the group, I said, I'd like to um, end with a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask each of us to share one concern that we have about ourselves that we want prayer for in the group. And I knew that I could say, pray for my Aunt Mabel, she has cancer. And that's wonderful. But what I decided to do was to be vulnerable. And I said, you know, pray because our youngest daughter is estranged from us right now. She's told us that she doesn't want to have anything to do with us. She doesn't want to talk with us. She doesn't want to be with us. She doesn't want to communicate with us. She wants nothing to do with us right now. And we're struggling right now not knowing how to manage that. And I'm having a hard time releasing that to God. Pray for me. Oh, my goodness. When I, when I said that, guess what happened? <laughs> Every single person shared they had a son or a daughter that was estranged from them. Oh my goodness, who would have ever thought that? We're all in our, you know, 50s and 60s, and we all have at least one kid that's walked away from us, prodigal. And on the first meeting, we discovered that. And what did that do? Bonded us together, man. We bonded. Oh, cohesiveness. Principles of cohesiveness, group dynamics, all, you know. And I loved it. I, did, I mean, I, I didn't know that that was going to happen. But I have a master's degree in interpersonal communications, and it's all about group dynamics, and it's about, you know, um, interpersonal connection. And um, I use a lot of those. I've used a lot of those principles in my life over and over and over and over and over. Finally, um, F, the last definition, practical definition. Leadership is the function of knowing yourself, having a vision that is well communicated, building trust among colleagues, taking effective action to realize your own leadership potential. Wow. All these definitions, by the way, are out of books of leadership gurus that have come up with their own definitions. And you, you can come up with kind of your own definition. You can be real simple like John Maxwell and say leadership is influence. Um, I love what, what you, some of you guys came up with. Leadership is influence. It's being an example. It's working toward a common goal. It starts with character. It starts with, um, it, 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 it involves compassion and care. I'm convinced of this principle that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And in leadership, you've got to, got to, got to care for others. You've got to love others. You know, you can't just wield power over people. That's not going to do it. That's not going to cut it. Um, and there's so much about that principle of leadership in ministry. Ministry is about caring for others. And it's about drawing people in and empowering others. And so a lot of the concepts that you mentioned, your definition, great, well done. Well done. Um, here are some questions about leadership. We're not going to have time to go all over all of these, but I just put these in your notes. 
Um, can anyone or everyone be a leader? I kind of know where I'm going with this. I think they can. Some people would say, oh, no, there's some that are natural leaders, and then there's, some, and then there's the rest of us. <laughs> um, can just anyone develop leadership? I think they can, because leadership to me is a pretty broad. It's, it's, it's about influence. Do we absolutely need leaders? Do we? Yes, we do. And you know what? Studies have been shown that when you get people into a group, leaders just rise to the top. Leaders naturally step up and lead. Groups don't go anywhere without leadership. They don't just happen by themselves. What significant difference do leaders make? Huge. Studies show that in churches, your pastor makes the biggest difference of the success of your church than any other person. You know? And, and you could probably tell me stories. Your church, I mean, if your pastor is a good speaker and a good leader, well, you know, church thrives. If your pastor's terrible, it dies. I mean, it just, it's just that way. Are you a leader if no one follows you? We kind of addressed that. Not really. <laughs> Not really. It takes, you got to be with people. There's got to be, what role do followers play in determining leadership? There's a whole body of research out there in leadership theory about followership. And it suggests that to be a good leader, first of all, you have to learn how to be a good follower. That's an interesting concept. You got to be a good follower and then you can learn leadership Followership is important. We'll talk a little bit more later about that dynamic of do you, do you listen to all of your followers and you do everything that they want you to do? Or do you step up and make decisions and go in directions that you want to go without listening to people? And it's kind of this creative tension. You know, if you try to please all the people all the time, it won't work. It won't work. You cannot please all the people all the time. I told myself when I got to CCU as the campus pastor, and I have 400 students that I'm pastoring, am I going to please all the people all the time? No, no. There's going to be some students that don't like the direction that I'm going. They don't like my style of leadership. They don't like my personality. They don't, and that's hard for me because I, you know, I'm kind of a little bit of a people pleaser. I, I want to make everybody happy, you know, and it, you just can't, as a leader, you can't just always worry about what everybody else thinks. But you know what? On the other hand, there's that creative tension. You can't just glibly go along in your own direction and not even think about what other people think. There's this creative balance of being sensitive to what other people think and what they need and adapting your leadership to them but not becoming such a people pleaser that you just do everything that pleases everybody because, oh my goodness, you're just going you know, to be unfruitful and you're going to be frustrated all over. Can you be a good leader but lead in the wrong direction? Yes, Hitler is the example. Powerful, amazing leader, but a terrible leader in a way because he had wrong, wrong motives and ethical. Is one kinder style of leadership better than another? That's an interesting question. Depends upon what you're trying to do. Depends upon the setting. Depends upon the situation. Well, especially today, we're going to talk about situational leadership. And wow, you've got to adapt to the situation, your leadership style. And then, oh, ooh, this is a hard one. Is there one more Christian or biblical style of leadership? That's usually when people say, oh, servant leadership. Well, yeah, servant leadership is, you know. I have, I have my own pet peeves. I have my own leadership style that I think <laughs> I like the best, and it kind of fits with my personality, and I think there's some really good godly principles that support it. I'll tell you right now, it's team leadership, what we call collaborative leadership. It's working with other people in a team, and, and you know. And I, I think that... Um, we as leaders should never try to be Lone Rangers. Even Lone Ranger had Tonto. 
Even Batman had Robin. You know? Even Superman had... Who's the... Who's, who's the complimentary to Superman? <laughs> you know, I think even as a pastor, uh, I helped start a church a while back, and it was, a, it was an elder-led church. We had a um, team. I'm going to talk more about this later on. We had five elders, and we were a team of pastors. There was no one elder that was the senior pastor. Interesting. Uh, there's pros and cons to that model. There's a lot of good things, a lot of bad things. And so it's the idea of, I would never want to be a senior pastor in a church without a team of, of people that help me lead. Regardless of what my role or title or how much influence, I'd always want people around me that, you know. I can remember um, when I was a youth pastor in Yakima years and years ago, I started a um, a prayer group for youth pastors, and once a month we would get together as youth pastors and pray and just support one another, encourage one another. My philosophy was it's not about competition, you know, as a youth pastor. It's not about competing for the biggest youth group or anything. It's about we're all on the same page. We're all in different churches, denominations, doing our thing. Let's support and pray for one another. And so we would pray, and then one time this guy came, this brand new guy came to our group, and I met him and got to know him, and he said, I was hired by my church to start a youth group. And I said, well, how many kids are in your youth group? They, he said, two. They, they want me to, to build a youth group, so they hired me to build a youth group. And I said, my first principle, my first suggestion for you, get somebody to help you. And he goes, what? There's two in the youth group. I said, get somebody to, to run with you. Get somebody to be your running mate. I believe in team. Even if it's your wife, probably the best person. Get your wife. Because who are the people in your youth group? Well, there's a guy and a girl and their brother and sister. And I said, are you going to relate to that girl? Are you going to relate to that girl? No. You need a woman leader as part of your team. Get your wife. And together, you will be stronger. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because when we talk about team leadership, oh, we'll bring out the whole principle. So Christian or biblical, I think a lot of styles of leadership you can apply biblical or Christian principles to. And I think some lend themselves a little better to applying Christian principles to than others. And we'll talk about that. Is leadership different according to culture? Oh my goodness, yes. You've ever been in other cultures? Yes, 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 yes. I've lived in African cultures, and a lot of African cultures are really passive. And wow, you've got to know how to be, you can't, they want a dominant leader, uh, but that's not necessarily the best thing. Um, does leadership change from setting to setting? And I think, it, yes, it does. It changes from setting to setting. It changes from environment. Uh, it changes from the size of the group. You know, how you lead one person is different than how you lead 2,000 people. Um, any other questions? I'm sure that there are, but that gets us going. Leadership in the Bible. Now, why, why, do, why did I name it that? It's because all of my other titles are leadership, duh, leadership, duh. So leadership in the Bible. Isn't it interesting that God is the first supreme, ultimate, perfect, exemplary leader? We don't often think of God as leader. We think of God as God. <laughs> we don't think of him as leader. Man, we could look at God through the filter or the lens of leadership and learn all kinds of principles. I, in my leadership class, fortunately I was, um, Gonzaga is a Jesuit school and being a quote Jesuit school meant that it was quote Christian, which meant that you could talk about Bible or Christianity or anything in it, you know. And so I wrote a lot of my papers from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, and I wrote one paper on God as leader. And it was fascinating to, to view God through the lens of leadership. If you use the definition of leadership is that a leader is one that makes things happen, God, oh my goodness, creation, you know, hello. Um, a theology of leadership begins with God. A theology of leadership. 
Have you ever thought about that, a theology of leadership? I've started writing papers on a theology of leadership. Theos, God, study of. Study of God is theology, a theology of leadership. God has all the traits, characteristics, and qualifications of the ideal leader. God demonstrates leadership within the Trinity. That's like the perfect team leadership, right? You know, God the Father seems to be kind of the point person in the Trinity, but yet they're all, they're all equal and they all play their roles and they all work together. It's amazing that the whole idea of Trinity as a team, you could write a paper just on the Trinity as a team. God calls people into leadership. He called David. It says God chose David from the, pens, from the sheep pens and made him the shepherd of his flock, you know, Israel. God is the supreme loving leader of his chosen people, Israel. It says that over and over and over in the Old Testament. God establishes the offices of earthly leadership. Isn't that interesting? Back to the question of do we absolutely need leaders? Well, God thought so because God established leadership positions. He established the king, the prophet, the priest, the elder. And Paul went into all these churches and appointed elders, it says. God leads and directs leaders and people. A lot of principles about leadership about God. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Interesting concepts about that. Now, examples of leaders in the Bible. Uh, I left that, that blank. Give me some examples of good leaders in the Bible. Who do you think? Other than God, who do you think? Who? David. Yes, Dawit. Yes, David. David, yeah. Moses. Oh, my goodness. Moses was considered the greatest leader in, in Israel's, early Israel's history. David was considered the greatest leader in, in modern day, or not modern, but kingly time period. Yeah. Joseph. Oh, my goodness, yes. Wow, a lot of principles of Joseph. Yeah. This is, this is ironic that you'd mention these because I teach a class in the summer at CCU for incoming high school students um, in leadership, and I ha do five, five biblical characters and leadership principles. And we spend a whole, a whole lecture just on, and I chose Moses, chose David, chose Joseph, Chose Joshua, you know, Jesus. I mean, over and over. Let's, let, you know, we could talk about, I mean, there's just over and over a ton of leaders in the Bible. What, um, who are some women leaders? Ruth? Really? Ruth? Oh, Deborah. She was a beast. Yeah. I tease my wife because my wife's name is Debbie, Deborah, and I say, man. You know what Deborah did in the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Phoebe, yeah. Remember in the New Testament? And Lydia. Boy, you guys are, yeah. Know your Bibles. You're pulling out. There's some fascinating women leaders in the Bible. And, you know, unfortunately, because I think Bible was written during the times when it was a male-dominated culture, there was not a lot said about certain women. Man, remember that one woman that, that, that drove this tent peg through the guy's head? I mean, dude, what? She, you know, if leader is making it happen, she stepped up and made it happen, I'll tell you. Woo, man, I can't even imagine doing that. But, you know, only a feisty woman would, <laughs> woo, man, you know. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of leaders, you know. Esther, she was... She was a pretty feisty lady. She had some clout. She, she used some careful strategy to influence people, didn't she? But, wow, we could, there's, there's just a ton. Bible mentions specific traits or qualities of leader in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, in Deuteronomy 17, we have a description of the king. And, oh my goodness, it's interesting how the Bible describes what God describes what the ideal king is supposed to be like. And um, he has a whole list there. One is that the king is supposed to be, you know, an Israelite. 
king is not supposed to, you know, gather up a whole bunch of wives. Why? Because wives suck your heart away from God. There's a, there's a principle there, and, and guess who gets a whole bunch of wives? David and Solomon and all these, you know, really godly kings. And you think, what were they thinking, you know? Um, they're not supposed to amass wealth or a lot of horses. Why? Because then their focus becomes on money, not on God. There's a good principle about leadership with that. So some have used that to say that we shouldn't pay pastors a good salary. I disagree with that. <laughs> I, there are some pastors that people have paid them a really, really good salary, and they've said, we're paying you a good salary because we want to see how you handle your money. Whoa, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, I've always respected Rick Warren. Um, I don't know if you know this about Rick Warren, but Rick Warren, Saddleback Pastor, wrote his book, Purpose Driven Life. That book has sold more copies than any other book in history other than the Bible. How rich do you think Rick Warren is? Rick Warren practices reverse tithing. What does that mean? He gives 90% away and lives on 10%. Well, dude, if you've sold the second most copies of book in history, I'm sure you could probably do that, you know. When Rick Warren started selling all these books, he paid back to the church all the money that it had ever given to him for salary. He paid that all back. And he lives on money from the book sales, but reverse ties. I mean, how you manage your money is a good test of your heart for God and your, your leadership, you know? And so, um, other principles, New Testament, um, Acts chapter 6, 2 Timothy 3, Titus 1. We won't take the time to unpack those, um, but those, the, the New Testament actually lists out principles of leadership. And a lot of times in Acts 6, 1 Timothy, Acts 6 is when it's talking about the leaders, you know, when, when, um, when they said, when there was a, a problem that came among the feeding of the widows, and they said, okay, we want to pick some leaders, we want to pick some deacons, and it lists out qualities, and it says, full of the Holy Spirit, you know, da 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 and it usually lists out character qualities. You know, it never says, has the gift of administration or has a degree in organization. It, it lists out personal character qualities. I, one time, when I was... Um, teaching youth ministry at Multnomah. I started the, I helped start the youth ministry major at Multnomah, and I taught a number of youth ministry classes. I did a research once. I called up a bunch of churches, and I asked them for their list of criteria of the ideal youth pastor, and it's interesting because I listed the top criteria of the ideal youth pastor, and the top six were all about character, all about your relationship with God, person of integrity, person that manages people well, I mean, in terms of relational connection, I mean, you know, a lot of things. And then, and then number six was, has a heart and a passion for youth and can lead youth. I mean, it was all about character first. And that's kind of what, what God talks about in the New Testament. It's 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are, are elder qualities, and it talks a lot about character, a lot about relational stuff like that, and, and even managing money, it, it lists, you know, in there. And of course, Jesus has a leader. <coughs> we could spend a whole big long time talking about Jesus as a leader. And I wrote a paper on incarnational leadership as seen in Jesus, that kind of thing. Leadership in, just, in ministry, just look at the life and practice of Jesus and learn all kinds of principles um, about leadership there. Um, leadership diagram. This is something I, I, I love diagrams. And so I thought, well, I want to I do a diagram of leadership. How, how would you even think? Think about doing a diagram for leadership. Well, well, I did just because I thought it would be a challenge. So I created these categories, leader, leady, leadership, leadership situation, and leadership issues. Those are the categories that I put in your diagram in your page. Now I'm going to draw the diagram for you just for fun. My diagram, my philosophy of copyright is just that you copy it right. 
you know? So if you want to copy my diagram, please feel free to copy my diagram. So first of all, you have A, you have the leader right there. Bam. You have the leader in your diagram. You can draw that on that, on that blank space. And then you have lead E, or the follower. I call it lead E, <laughs> because everything begins with L. So you have to have a leader, lead E. <laughs> and then leadership. What is leadership? Leadership is the influence or the dynamic that happens from the leader to the lead E. Whatever that is. And of course, we gave definitions. So it's being an example. It's influencing. It's caring. It's listening. It's empowering. It's whatever it is. It, it's, that, it's that thing that happens between the leader and the lead E. And then you have the leadership situation, which I drew a box around the whole thing. So you have the leadership situation. And that can be a classroom, it can be a church, it can be um, a sports field, it can be government, it can be whatever it is, that's the leadership situation. And then there's leadership issues. And how did I do this? I just drew this big blob around the whole thing and I labeled it E. Leadership issues are all the things that happen in leadership. It, you have conflict, um, you have ethics, um, you have communication issues, um, you have money issues, you have all kinds of issues. Whatever those issues are, they're just this big blob that goes around the whole leadership situation. And so that's, that's my diagram. Now, does that really matter or is that significant? I don't know. I, I just like the challenge of coming up with a leadership diagram. <laughs> and I've used this, um, I've used this in settings where I've talked about leadership. Um, so like in a youth group setting, you talk about, you know, A, you're the leader. B, you have the, the junior high youth. You have the influence that you have the junior high. The, the situation would be the youth group. And then what are the leadership issues? Great discussion with your, your leadership team. What are the issues that we're going to face in working with youth in this context, in this situation? And then you talk about those and how to overcome them together, you know, as a group. Let's continue on. Leadership descriptions and theories. Now, what I did here um, was I took my training um, at Gonzaga in my PhD program because we had one whole class just in leadership theories. And they unpacked all these. And I'm going to just summarize these in just really quick summary fashion. But... These are the major theories of leadership that are talked about in leadership, in leadership circles right now. Now, there, there's others, but these are the main ones. These are the main ones. And I've listed them for you, so you don't have to write them all out. I've listed and given descriptions. There's what we call the great man theory. There's trait theories. There's behavioral theories. There's situational or contingency theories. There's participative, collaborative, or team leadership theories. There's transformational leadership theory. That was pretty significant for a period of time. There are seminaries that have a transformational leadership program. They've taken that model and applied it to a church or a ministry setting because they think that that model is, is such a great model, and it is. It's a great model for, for leadership in the church and ministry. So we're gonna, I'm going to give you a summary of transformational leadership. And then finally, servant leadership. What is that? According to leadership theory, what does that look like? So that's the direction that we're going. Great man theory. So um, let me quickly go over. I see we're, we're racing through time faster than I wanted. But great man theory, the whole great man theory had to do with the fact that um, this was the, one of the earlier models of, of leadership. And this was where people looked at leaders and they said, Let's look at leaders and then let's describe what good leaders are. And they said, leaders are born. They're not made. Leaders are born into families. And they, a lot of times they looked into like the aristocratic families of England and other places. And they said, you're the king. You know, and then you have children and those children become the king and become the queen and whatever. And so they said, leaders are born. They possess innate or inherent natural leadership traits or characteristics. Great leaders had the right genes to be the leader. Oh, my goodness. 
can't believe, you know. What are the pro positives and problems with this view of, of leadership? Now, let me ask you this. Don't leaders have natural ability to lead? Most do. Are some people more natural leaders than others? Yes. So there's some truth to this theory. Would you say that those are leadership genes? I'd say, well, maybe not. I don't know if there is a leadership gene, per se. Um, but I think some people are more natural leaders. But I think that, that even natural leaders need to build or develop or enhance their leadership. Leadership grows by experience, by practice. You know, um, I, I think David learned leadership while tending sheep. And I think in the early days of his kingship, you know, he, he probably waffled and he just was not a natural born leader that was perfect leader, in, you know. David learned leadership when he had to lead his men in running away from Saul. He learned a lot about leadership, you know, through all that. So there's some positives to this, but the main problems, I think, with this theory and down through the ages, um, leadership theories, theorists have said is that um, this bucks against the whole idea of our leaders born or made, and the current trend in leadership right now is that leaders are made, they're not born. You can learn leadership. And this theory of leadership doesn't lend itself to learning theory, to, to learning leadership. It lends itself to either you're born a leader or you're not. And if you're not born with the right genes, sorry, bucko, you don't get it. You can't be a leader. And I, I just think that's false. I don't think that's, um, that's reality. I don't think that's... And then the trait leadership theories kind of built on the great man theories. And they said, you know... There's some truth to the great man theories. It's about traits. It's about characteristics. It's maybe not about the genes that a leader has, but leaders possess positive leadership traits, natural and born. That's true. Leader traits are inborn. They're not learned, but they may, but, but may not be developed. In other words, if you don't have that trait, sorry, you can't develop it, according to this theory. Only certain people have the right traits and not everyone can be a leader. Same pros and cons to this theory as to the great man theory, was that, um, yes, I think people do have natural inborn tendencies to be leaders, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go with this theory that says you can't develop something that's not there. I think you can develop leadership because to me, leadership is influence. It's being an example. It's caring. It's empowering. I think those kinds of traits anyone can develop regardless of your personality. You don't have to be an extrovert to be a leader. Um, and so that's, that's one of the main problems with similar problems to this theory as to the great man theory is that it's just too limiting. It's just too limiting in terms of your view of leadership. And it kind of has this either you're a leader or you're not mentality. And if you weren't born with certain leadership, then it's like you feel left out and poor you. Sorry, you, know, you can't lead. I think in early... Christian life, there was a little bit of this going on, was that if God had not called you to be a leader, then sorry, you couldn't be a leader. You needed a calling on your life. And there's a big debate about, you know, calling. Should you be called to be a pastor or should you not be called, whatever? There's two, there's two philosophies in that camp. One side that says, oh yeah, you definitely need a calling from God to be a pastor. And if you don't have a calling, man, you're going to burn out and you're going to wash out. And you're, you're not going to be able to make it. There's the other view, which I tend to lean a little bit more to the other view, that says if you're a good steward of what God has gifted you and the talents and the abilities that you have, then that might lend itself to be a pastor or a teacher or a leader or something else. But you just... You know, God is never going to call you to do something without giving you the skill or the talent or the ability to do it. I firmly believe that. I remember the kid that walked in my office one day and said, I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. I said, great. Um, how much public speaking have you done? None. How do people like your preaching? I don't know. I've never preached. And I said, Go do some preaching and then come back to me and we'll talk about whether you're going to be the next Billy Graham. Because you can aspire to be something, 
but not have the talent or the ability to do it. And I think if God has called you to be the next Billy Graham, he's going to give you the talent and the ability to speak. Now, does that mean that you don't have to develop it? No, you have to develop it. Some of Billy Graham's early sermons were, were pretty nasty. <laughs> In fact, do you know that Billy Graham got kicked out of his first Christian college? And the president of that college says, you're not going to ever amount to anything. You might be a pastor of a very small little rural church, and that's about it. That's about you'll ever mount up to. Dude, can you, can you imagine what the leader of that college thinks 50 years later when Billy Graham becomes the, the best preacher in the history of the world? You know? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> what are some common leadership traits or characteristics? You know, there have been some studies done about this. Um, Kuznis, Kuznis and Posner has written a bunch of books. They're two big names in leadership theory. Um, leadership theory and experts, they took a survey. They asked over a million people. Dude, that's a lot of people. They asked over a million people this question. Describe the best leader that you've had. What are the characteristics and traits of the best leader that you've had? Because they wanted to research what are those characteristics and traits of the best leader. And this is what they put. I think I, I think I put this in your notes. Let me look back through. Yes, page 12. I, I put a whole bunch of stuff in your notes that we're probably not going to get to. But this is really cool. This whole book study, The Leadership Challenge, this is an amazing book about leadership. And they categorize, they, according to their study of a million people, they categorize and they prioritize the leadership qualities. They said number one is honesty. Number two is forward thinking. Number three is competency, inspiration, intelligence, fair-minded, broad-minded. That doesn't mean girl-minded. Girl it means broad meaning that they can think in wide categories. Supportive, straightforward, dependable, cooperative, determined, imaginative, ambitious, courageous, caring, mature, loyal, self-controlled, and independent. I would not have put some of those qualities in the places that I would have put. I would have maybe put honest and integrity first. I would have put caring way higher on the list. <laughs> way higher. Because to me, caring is huge. If you don't love someone, like I said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, if you don't care for somebody, how can you be a leader? So caring should be way up. Um, maturity, courageous should be way up. Self-controlled, those should be way up. Um, I don't know that forward thinking, you know, visionary, I don't know that that's huge. I mean, it's important, but that's not number two in my book by any means. I just, you know, that's just, I mean, but this is, this is what secular research shows in terms of just, it's kind of a fun study. Let me, while we're on this page, let me also show you that they then go on to describe five actions or components of successful leadership. And I think this is really good, really good stuff. One is you need to model the way. You need to be an example. Okay? Modeling means going first, listing the behaviors you want to adopt, this implies leading from the front or modeling by way of example. I, I think it also implies leading from the middle. You could lead from the middle and be a good example. Number two, you need to inspire a shared vision. So you need to be inspirational. Three is you need to have positive response to adversity. Oh my goodness. That was a major, major component in my, when I discovered that in the research, um, then I really did a lot of research on dealing with adversity and this concept called resilience fascinating concept. Fascinating. There was another book that came out called um, Geeks and can't, can't quite remember the name of the book. These guys that wrote and they interviewed thousands of successful leaders to try to find common themes in being a successful leader. Guess what the number one top theme of every successful leader was? The ability to handle or deal effectively with adversity. If you can overcome adversity, you know. And that was what I wanted to study because I, 
I grew up without a dad. And so I wanted to know, um, what does the impact of growing up without a dad have on your formation of leadership? And so my PhD was on um, the impact of father deprivation on the formation of leaders. And one of the things that I discovered was that um, if you... If you lose a parent in your early life and you can rebound from that, you can be resilient in that, doesn't let that devastate you, then you have the capacity and the components to rise up and be an effective leader. Because one of the things I found in the research was that people without dads either became victims and they wallowed around in their victimhood and they said, oh, I don't have a dad. And they, you know, did drugs and stole and got into trouble because they didn't have a dad. Or they stepped up and became a victor and said, because I don't have a dad, I need to, to show greater responsibility and rise above this situation. And I, that was the component that I wanted to research, was why do, somebody, why do some people have that sense of resiliency and, and do well and thrive, and other people just go down? And it's, it's that component of resiliency. And... Um, some people have it and some people don't. And, and I, I researched and I didn't get that far, but I thought, man, how can, I, how can you build resiliency? And one of my theories was um, God. If you look to God, he will help you overcome, you know, problems and all those kinds of things. And then the next one, enable or empower others to act. And number five was encourage the heart. So those five components of effective leadership, that's, that's, that's really good research. Um, I want to get into behavioral theories. Oh, Wow. I wanted to get further along then. Behavioral theories basically was a reaction to the first two theories. So the behavioral series said, oh, no, wait a minute. Leaders aren't born. You can make leaders. You can develop leadership. Leaders can be made. Leadership can be discovered. It can be taught. It can be developed. It can be learned. It can be enhanced in most anyone, regardless of your natural ability, inclination, or inborn leadership aptitudes. I believe this. I think you can become a leader. Two, the focus was then on the development of leadership success. That's what John Maxwell, I mean, all of his writings are the fact that leadership is influence. And then he goes on and says, and so then how do you influence? How do you grow in being a better influencer? You know, that's what leadership is. I mean, what if you went to a leadership workshop that taught the great man or the trait theory that said, if you have the inborn characteristic of leadership, you've got it. If you don't, sorry, why are you taking this workshop? <laughs> <laughs> you know, on leadership. And so leadership can be learned. In fact, it must be learned. Positive and problems with this view. Um, the positives, of course, is that leaders can be made so you can all focus on leadership. You can all learn leadership. You can all be better leaders. The problem with this view is that some people um, who maybe aren't natural leaders think that they're better leaders than they really are. And they think, well, if anybody can be a leader, then I can take just enough leadership courses. I worked with a pastor who struggled in his leadership, and he kept thinking, you know, I'll just take another course, take another course, take another course, and I can be a better leader. And you, you can learn, but you can only learn so far. And so there's some problems with that. Situational or contingency leaders, I want to I develop this, and then, we'll, and then we'll call it quits today. Situational leadership is is a very interesting concept. It focuses on understanding the situation or the setting of the leadership and the followers and then adapting leadership style and even leadership traits to that situation or context. It's the need of the moment. It focuses more on how you apply your leadership style to the situation rather than on what you got or the development or the trait that you have as a leader. And so if you're a domineering leader versus a passive leader, and the, the three primarily leadership styles in the situational leadership are what we call authoritarian leadership, um, democratic leadership, and laissez-faire leadership. Now, let me look at my notes and see, have I given you, um, yes, I gave you, I gave you this material, so we can go over this quickly. Um, the authoritarian leadership style, the description, the good, and the bad. So that's the outline. Uh, description is the authoritarian may be dictatorial, autocratic, singular, take charge, strong, directive, powerful. We all know authoritarian leaders, right? Probably Trump is an authoritarian leader. Hitler was an authoritarian leader. Have you ever had a senior pastor who's authoritarian who just takes charge and says, it's my way or the highway, you know, kind of a thing? The good 
is that in crisis situations, in large groups, in gaining control, easier to make quick, quick and fast decisions, if you have a really good leader, things go really well. <laughs> What's the bad? It's weak in building mutual support, a sense of team or camaraderie. It tends to alienate people. It appeals to strong, insensitive, or egotistical, power-hungry, autocratic leaders. Name like Trump. I mean, you know, he wants to take charge. And, um, you know, whatever. The bad is that if you have a poor leader, things can get really bad. We all know of churches that had autocratic leaders, and oh my goodness, things went downhill, you know, really, really fast. Is it ever okay to be an autocratic leader? It depends upon the situation, right? This is situational leadership. Was Jesus an ever, was Jesus an, ever an autocratic leader? So when he went into the temple, do you think he went into the temple and said, okay, guys, um, what do you all think? Do you think this is biblical, that you're selling doves for higher price money? Um, what do you think? Should we, like, maybe um, move out? You know, let's take a vote. <laughs> Jesus, autocratic leader, he assessed the situation and decided time for me to be an autocratic leader, and he stepped up and he cleaned house. Is there ever a time that you should be an autocratic leader here at at Cola? Let's say there was a fire in the building. You say, okay, let's form a small group and talk about what we're going to do. No, no, autocratic leader, man, somebody needs to step up and say, fire out the door. Somebody needs to take charge and take charge now and be autocratic about it, you know? Leader cannot or does not benefit from multiple sources of wisdom or support in this thing, you know, can create a lone, this can create a lone ranger mentality. So that's, that's authoritarian leader. Democratic leader, we all know um, the description to good to bad of democratic. This is a collaborative consensus group decision making. This is strong team building support and getting a group involved, creating better buy-in ownership for the group, provides more worth, value, collegial, you know, the bad, it can be too time-consuming. That was one of the bad that we found as, as, you know, in this team pastor, team elder concept, was it took forever to come to a consensus about decision-making. And that can be the bad. It can take a long time to bring the whole group on board with your decision. It may not provide the best decision. Just because the group says so doesn't mean that that's the best decision. And it may not have strong enough leadership to achieve high task completion or production. Sometimes you need more of an autocratic leader to really get a task done to the highest level of proficiency. If the group decides you're gonna, you, you might develop with a, a, a mediocre product rather than an excellent product. Um, and what's, what's the best context for group? I think if you're, if you're doing a task, if you're planning a party group, if you're leading a situation like a church group, this is a great model of leadership. Uh, but there are some weaknesses. Finally, laissez-faire leadership. You understand the concept of laissez-faire? Hands off. Hands off. Hang loose. Go with the flow. Easygoing style. Low pressure. Low accountability. Low directive. Passive and lacks direction. Easygoing style promotes a sense of freedom. Non-detorical appreciative leadership. There's no such thing as, you know, somebody stepping in and taking charge. It can promote or foster other leaders to develop. It provides space and freedom for self-motivated, self-disciplined people. The bad is can it, it can be viewed as weak or passive leader, weak or passive leadership. There's kind of a muddle in the middle, so to speak. Muddle or confusion about clear direction. Who's in charge? Low motivation, accountability, production, you know. Is this ever a good model? Lazy affair. My daughter is a consultant for a consulting company in Portland. She's had some very interesting consulting jobs. One of her first gigs was, believe it or not, with Nike. Nike in Beaverton. She was hired as a consultant for Nike. Guess what style of leadership Nike has? Laissez-faire. They hire very competent very competent people and then they don't tell you what to do. You have to do it on your own. 
And if you don't perform, you're out. But it's hands-off leadership style. And she, <laughs> she had some interesting conversations with people, you know, about that whole style. Okay, we are out of time. Sorry, I took, took, took a little too long on other issues. And um, let me pray for us. God, thank you for really stretching our brains to think about leadership. Um, help us to, to uh, know how to apply these principles. And God, thank you for the principles in your word that, that give us direction. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.